Oh, just one more thing. Uh, one more thing I think we need before we start. Um, can you uh, can you just go fetch those bolt cutters really quickly? Yeah, I'll find them. I think the bolt cutters have been fetched, if you know what <laughs> yes. I mean. I, th- uh, I think I think the bull cutters are are out there. Yes, I mean, given cutting. what's what's been going on the last few days, I I just have to ask, uh, what did Fiona know and when did she know it? <laughs> Fiona Apple is she's she's plugged in. That lady gets it. Yeah, Fiona Apple's had her own trouble with the police. Uh, she, she's been arrested for hash possession in Texas, which I feel like every every musician who smokes hash definitely has, gets arrested for it in yeah, Texas. Uh, Texas PD has a, a sixth sense for hash. She she had shared a story. There's a lyric in Fetch the or in the album for Fetch the Bolt Cutters of uh, someone, one of her co-band members, saying that she's a good man in a storm, and it was referring to getting arrested and, oh, actually no, it was getting pulled over. It was a different instance, and she put the weed that they had in their in their van in her sock mm-hmm. uh, because she was like the the little white girl amongst uh, I think two, two brown guys and the cops kept talking to them and their drug dog was like sniffing at her ankle and they were like, Oh yeah, whatever. Like this dog must just like her. She's friendly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's where she gets the, the good man in a storm designation. Uh, she was, she was Fiona you, will hold your weed. She, she was using her bodies to hold the space. <laughs> Fiona Apple knows a lot about bodies and spaces. She does. I feel like uh, the genre of her music is bodies and spaces. Yeah, it is. It's true. <laughs> what other? What are other bodies and spaces uh, uh, albums? Uh, I mean, most female pop stars from the nineties are singer, female singer songwriters. Singer songwriters. Yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of bodies and spaces for sure. I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about that, but we'll get that after the intro. Okay. Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing on vocals and piano, give it up for Fiona Apple. She burst onto the scene as a precocious mid-90s singer-songwriter with a jazz-infused debut album that fast-tracked her to pop stardom. But tumultuous years of fame and scrutiny accompanied by mental illness and substance abuse steered her towards a slower artistic pace. From brooding NYC teen to Venice Beach hermit poet laureate, we're exploring Fiona Apple through the long-form magazine pieces that bookend the beginning of her career and the present day. Fiona Apple! <laughs> Fiona Apple! Hey, it's a Fiona Apple! Hey, it's a Fiona Apple. Uh, hi, Molly. How are you? Hi. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we are currently uh, locked down on our own block. Uh, yeah, we currently have to show, show identification yeah. to uh, to go home, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, had to had to chase down a had to <laughs> had to chase down a delivery guy today because he literally couldn't drop shit off in front of our house, and then mm-hmm. the police were you know very slowly unleashing the gates so that city buses could go through. I'm sure everyone who's riding those buses right now is definitely making to wherever they need to go on time, yes. uh, which is fucking well, fantastic. At least, at least the cops didn't uh, demand to inspect your chicken. Yeah. <laughs> They could have, and that's all they would have found is chicken is delivery, uh, a cold like that time I got pulled raw over delivery chicken uh, speeding with um, a cooler full of bacon that I was bringing to my friend's house. And was it and when the uh, cop asked me what was in the cooler uh, next to my uh, in the passenger seat next to me, uh, I got to look him in the eyes and say bacon. 
Oink, oink. Oink, oink. <laughs> and he, he asked me to open it up, and guess what, motherfucker? It was true. How much bacon was it? Just two packs of bacon. Was there anything else in the cooler? Frescas. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Frescas and bacon. I was taking a supply you, run to yeah. my, to my, fr- my you, friend's house. Uh, you, you, bo- you teen boys or you, yeah. young boys. Are just We're always sub- full of, of japes and larks. Yes, I was just gonna say, yeah, you know, bubbles and, <laughs> and bubbles and lard. Yeah. Uh, so Molly, Fiona Apple. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. We we can get into Fiona. I I think we're both at a slight impasse of like what what to say or or how. Uh, and I mean, I don't know. I I, have, I can do my you, where I stand on Fiona you, Apple. Wait. Oh oh, I was talking about like you know gestures around all of this. Oh yes. Um. Which I don't know. I just at the top maybe wanted to just say, you know, if you can go to a protest, go. That's cool. Yes. I and mean, if you are terrified of coronavirus, that's understandable. Yes. Also, maybe don't go. I don't know. Who knows when I'm going to put this out? When I'm going to put? Yeah. This out, maybe so. should we not peg this t- to a timely time? Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Uh, p- the people from the future going back can look at this as a time capsule of uh, you know, us being sit trapped in our own house uh, in a time of deep civil unrest, not really having anything better to do than to talk about Fiona Apple. This is true. We, I don't have anything better to do today. I mean, and I could play Civ six for another few hours, but why do that when I could produce uh, content? Yes. The content um, must flow. The content must flow. We, we do know this, um, you know, black, black squares on Instagram or not. Nah. Yeah. That, that was certainly flowing yesterday. We can cut all this. So we can cut all this. <laughs> um, let's talk about Fiona. Cause that's what people are here for. Yes. Do you, what do you, what do you know? <laughs> what do you, what do I know? Uh, I mean, not much. I like, I've, I've heard certainly many Fiona Apple songs. Uh, I definitely had Extraordinary Machine in rotation when I was in high school. Oh, uh, did you? Yeah, and like I didn't know that. It's really not. It's it's not my thing very much, but I you know I appreciated the uh, kind of weirdness of it, and uh, I always appreciated that she seemed like it, though her music has like an intense like intellectual emotional poetic quality to it. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that she also seemed like she had a, a good sense of humor. Yeah, she's funny. Which, uh, like all those Zach Galifianakis uh, music videos. Yeah. Which, at least for me, made it seem much more approachable to like the, all the other branding stuff around her, which I think would seem to indicate that this is like heavy women's music. Yeah, which I think is like not, especially the, the more she's done it, the less like, there's obviously lady shit in it, but I also feel like it's the, each album has kind of gotten away from like, gender specific stuff in some ways there yeah. there are a few tunes on fetch the bowl cutters that are are lady shit but uh, yeah but like and i also she kind of fascinates me as one of those weird products of the kind of tumultuous landscape of music in the 90s yes that yes. this again extremely uh idiosyncratic erudite heavily jazz and poetic singer songwriter mm-hmm. could become a major pop phenomenon both on a critic and commercial level. Yes. That this kind of music could be like absolute A plus tier pop star music. That seems like a product of something that would only happen in like 1996 or whenever she she first broke out. Yes. 96 was her first album. Yeah. Yeah, It it definitely has that like turn of millennium, but pre 9-11 chaos of like, I don't know, like 
Chumbawamba yeah. like having a hit song. It's like just this weird. I I don't know what was in the water actually at this time. Well, it's I like, mean, it was. It feels like after grunge broke, like everybody from the bottom to the top of the music industry was was kind of for like a few years there collectively going. I don't know what even is music anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like oh she there's there's a, a a New York City teenager who's making like slightly hip-hop infused jazz songs i don't know sure sure why it not sounds good major label debut yeah there, Actually, i do does i think you have a major label debut yeah it was a major label debut <laughs> sure. um i i do th- i'm just thinking i i mean i'm sure there's some actually smart people who have thoughts about late 90s music industry trends um that are not me but i do it they just had a lot of money right yeah it was kind of like the last gasp of money before Napster came in like they were CDs were like $22 or something they were basically printing money and so I feel like that allowed people to invest in stuff that wasn't necessarily market tested uh, Mm -hmm. but ended up doing well anyway because it is good music and especially Criminals the first single was like I mean that song kicks ass should we listen to Criminals yeah sure let's let's start with some uh, some Criminal uh, to, to, to situate us the year 1996 the mode criminal <laughs> like there's flute on this song yes <laughs> almost immediately I mean, this sounds like this sounds like the uh, the middle the middle first act song from like a a hip Broadway music musical, you know? Yeah, the the, ju- like, the Duncan Sheikification of uh, yeah. of of Broadway. Yeah. Right, because it's I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is because I have known this song since I was in first grade, but yeah. and have listened to it since then. But it's hard to piece together the genre of this song. Yes. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's kind of genreless. Yeah. But it also has that like weird glossy like post Cheryl Crow kind of thing. Yeah. I mean it's it's a child of like the Lilith Fair uh yeah. Oh. sort of et- multi not multicultural, just sort of like uh fusion. Yeah, shit. just fusion everything. Yeah. Uh, like fusion cabaret and yeah, like who, who know, like hip hop drumming and like there's synthesizers yes. in this and stuff. But it's just so funny considering that it, this is becoming a breakthrough single for her against uh, in a backdrop of like what other female pop hits are there in 1996? Uh, wannabe. Right. And, it and was, like it's all coming back to me now. And it's, it's just hard to kind of imagine uh, other than the general quality of this, this how this fits in with the, uh, the world of. of of other monster hit songs of, of 1996, like Firestarter by The Prodigy <laughs> and stuff like that. Well, it's funny because it does, I do think it exists as opposition to something like Wannabe yeah. because it's dark, you know, it's minor key. It's moody, is it, it's is this actually minor key? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's adult yeah. as opposed to Spice Girls. I love them, but they were for, for children. children yes. I was a child when I listened to them. <laughs> when I was a when I, when I was a child, I played with childish things. Isn't that how it works? <laughs> yeah. When I was an adult, I, I listened like, to Fiona Apple. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good song, though. Yeah. 
But I am. It's funny. I'm, I'm trying to think of. I don't think that there is a a current version of like the opposition between a, a mega popular like Fiona Apple situation and a mega popular like bubblegum pop situation because everything now is so both dark and yeah. bubblegum. Like our, you look at Ariana like, Grande. Sure. Bubblegum, yes, but also like dark themes. Sure, but I think Halsey, that's just the, kind the, of the same deal. I, or like maybe you'd go with to like Lord, but I think that even the like sounds and tones and stuff that, of what is in those songs uh, form like uh, song structures generally conform to what we know to be a like hegemonic structure of pop music and sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I have been listening to Fiona Apple since I was six years old. My dad had her first two albums title and then the uh, uh, commonly referred to as when the pond dot dot dot, <laughs> yes. uh, which is actually a, a 16 line poem, which I used to know, believe it or not. Um, uh, I'm not going to try to, <laughs> to uh, uh, recite it, but I used to know it. And so, yeah, I inherited my Fiona Apple fandom for my dad. Thank you. And I asked him because I was O'Brien. like, why was my dad listening to Fiona Apple? And he he told me it was because he um, uh, she was referred to often in Rolling Stone, like Rolling Stone really boosted her in her early career. And so sure. he was like, he's a he reads the literature, you know, um, and I've been listening to ever since I was a freshman in high school when Extraordinary Machine came out. I was 22 when her fourth album uh Oh God, the Idler Wheel yes. came out and then now I'm 30 for this. So mm-hmm. I basically been a fan of Fiona Apple. My, she's one of my guys. Yeah. Fiona Apple is one of my guys, but it's also kind of great because she's one of these people who does not release albums very often. So each album release is, is an, an event. event. Yes. And also the, the, the quality isn't really diluted. I don't have to worry about lineup changes. <laughs> like she's kind of an ideal person to be a fan of because she keeps making like consistently good, but different music for her her babies right um so is there a, I love is there a name apple. for apple stands no apple heads <laughs> apple apple sauces uh, apple sauces apple pies i don't know um but i wanted to talk to her about her and i oh shit i'm gonna have to look this up um and chat them out at the end of the episode because this was a listener suggestion of like compare a fiona apple cover story from when she was first bubbling up to now because she's gotten um a lot of press for uh right and, and, as, and, and it's changed i mean she's a you know she was 19 when she started and now she's 42 one 42 uh and i guess this makes fertile topic for uh magazine cover story stories because as you were just saying when every album she puts out as an event it is a good reason for music uh, magazines to be like Hey, somebody go check in with Fiona Apple. <laughs> Does anyone know how Fiona Apple's doing right now? Can someone... We hear that she's putting out, out an album. We're going to need to uh, see what's up with her. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So Someone do a wellness check on Fiona. Someone do a wellness check on Fiona Apple. The source material I have, so there's two, uh, two major music magazine cover stories when she was kind of first uh, getting a toehold. There is a, a, a cover story called Girl Trouble by John Weir in Spin in 1997. And then Great. one called The Caged Bird Sings by Chris <laughs> Heath in Rolling Stone. And that it was early 1998. And she was like one of their like musicians of the year of 1997. So sure. it was kind of like, that's the thing about magazine, print magazines is like, 
nailing people when right when they blow up is basically impossible. Right. You're either boosting someone you hope gets big or you've already probably caught them mm -hmm. after they've like kind of already exploded. Right. So um, I think the improvement upon those earlier pieces and what we get now is that those were written by men. And, and now, and now it was women. Emily Nussbaum oh, uh, in hello. The New Yorker who wrote Fiona Apple's Art of Radical Sensitivity. Fiona Apple's Art of Radical Sensitivity. Compare that to Girl Trouble <laughs> by John Weir. The Cage Bird Sings. I think I think the main takeaway from this recording is that we've just learned a lot about how to write about women musicians yes. in the past 20 years. <laughs> There's some do's and downs, right. I think. I think. Um, should we get into it? <laughs> uh, yes. But I guess it, it reveals my uh, bias as a reader that uh, that Girl Trouble and The Cage Bird Sings as titles of pieces sound much more... Uh, interesting or like ooh then radical sensitivity you're not in, you're not interested in radical sensitivity i mean i can't i can't say in honesty <laughs> that, that that really piques my interest as opposed to you know like uh uh Oph ophelia sings or <laughs> you know uh yeah uh, sure girl unbroken or something <laughs> yes i mean i, I mean, know maybe there's a better way to do something dramatic dramatic like that that doesn't involve radical sensitivity uh, you know, uh, what, what would, what would names of later profiles of artists be called? Like, uh, reinventing the wheel. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the long road toward blank. Uh, yes. Yeah. Fiona uh, Apple's long road um, to redemption, like shit like that. S S Sisyphus eats the apple. <laughs> Maybe that has some weird connotations to it, but you know, <sighs> uh, um, yeah. Sisyphus and the apple or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, okay. So in this, in this Rolling Stone profile, uh, it opens, uh, actually, no, this is not the opening line. Scratch that. Um, one, one of the first sentiments that they talk about is Fiona Apple is either a precocious calculating prodigy or an unbalanced, ungrateful freak. <laughs> Just re and referring to not like pointing fingers at her, but referring to the way that she has been already portrayed in the media. Okay. So they're um, doing kind of a meta analysis. Meta analysis. And it's just funny that it was so early in her career that people were already being like, no, 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 don't like, don't talk. Like you've got, you've already gotten her wrong or like right. she, there's almost a weird like self self-effacing quality of these media properties. That's like, you know, if I were to call her uh, a precocious waif, uh, I would just be repeating what other people have already said, except I, I guess I, I just said it. it by doing that. Yes. Um, there is some good analysis early in this piece where the, the writer says the great sucker punch of modern celebrity. It draws in the Fiona apples of this world with that most wonderful of all promises to be understood. And yet humans are still to invent a quicker, more self-efficient method of being misunderstood by the greatest possible number of people than becoming famous in America. Yes, that's a good, that's a pretty good, uh, uh line. Sort of a I feel like that's a David Foster Wallace in yes. analysis yeah. of like you you get famous so people can understand you, but getting famous makes it so that no one ever understands you. I think the one semantic difference is uh, that I would put in is that you might attempt to get popular so people understand you, mm -hmm. but getting famous makes people misunderstand you. Yes. Yeah. Do, you, do you buy that? I buy that. I buy that if you're selling it. I mean, you want, you want to be popular so that more people get to listen to your music and then by just law of numbers more more people who it vibes with who understand what you're trying to do can find it and get to it yes but the awful byproduct of that is having to be a uh, famous person yeah 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 i think that's what and have people call you a, what a naive 
ungrateful freak. Uh, uh, what is it? An unbalanced, ungrateful freak. Um, so yeah, I think I think I feel early like the, the the response from an Apple type is like, man, I is like the man, I just want to grill thing. Like, I just want to, I would just want to play play piano songs for the nice people. That's basically what she has gotten to by this point. Yeah. Um. So when the writer first meets her, she's uh sitting on her hotel room floor making collages. Sure. Of you know newspaper and and magazine clippings. <laughs> Uh, she says, I've been sick for two months. There's a lot going on in my head. There's a lot going on in my personal life. There's a lot going on everywhere. And and uh, she will do whatever she needs to cope. I'm going to fucking put my candles where I want and I'm going to make my dumb collages. <laughs> um, she's also, the, this article shares that she uh, is very particular about hotel rooms. Uh, she doesn't like it if there are televisions in them. So she calls staff and says, take the TV out of my hotel room. All right. Uh, this this article is very very kind of like clinically analyzed uh, clinically anal clinically analyzing uh her like behavior basically sure. almost looking at her like a psychologist but also kind of uh self-consciously not trying to pass judgment yeah like giving a sense like, of like we're just going to give you the facts about Fiona Apple and you be the judge and right now she's making a collage well, uh, to candlelight in a hotel room and she asks them to remove the television <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards the ungrateful freak side. Yeah, right. And then later she, uh, I can't tell whether this is bidden by the writer or not, but she empties her purse to show what's in it. And one of the things in her purse is uh, her, quote, psychiatric medication. And when the writer asks what it's for, she says, my psychiatric problem. <laughs> yes, obviously. What is it for? <laughs> so, and they, they don't name this. Is that your diabetes medication? Yes. What is it for? My diabetes. My diabetes problem. Um, so like there's already what I'm interested in here is basically like she's performing an unstable person. Yeah. She didn't have what well, sounds to un- like she's kind of a- answering his questions fairly straightforwardly or answering their, uh, you know, replying to, to whatever they're presenting fairly straightforwardly. And then this person's kind of like waggling their eyebrows being like, eh? yeah, eh? right. And I think it's also worth stating. I don't know how many pop girls were showing their psychiatric medication in uh, yeah. in interviews at this time. That was probably a lot more radical now yeah. or then than now. I mean, I'm sure any of our older listeners would be like, yeah, nobody talked about that shit. But, you know, I'm still thinking about, like, this is in, what, the shadow of uh, Prozac Nation and stuff like that. Yeah. What, what year is Prozac Nation? Was that 90 like Early 90s. Maybe even 89. Mm, I think it was... Yeah, early '90s because it was like it was like a grunge book. <laughs> R- uh, Rip to Elizabeth Wurzel, what a real one. '94, '94. Okay, yeah, that that was yeah. Kurt Kurt died, and, and we were still in the process out. of normalizing normalizing mental, mental health. disorder. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but so uh, shout out Fiona, <laughs> normalizing queen. Yeah, kind of. I mean, yes, we'll we'll talk about this more later. There's other stuff too. So, they get into like her her biography. She grew up in New York City, um, child of divorce. Her parents are both in the same musical. I don't know if it was Broadway or Off-Broadway, but like theatrical musical parents. Um, she Like they were performers? Performers, yes. And so like there was there was music in the house. Sure. Um, so my diagnosis of that of sounding like a an off-Broadway musical is correct. correct. Well, yeah, and she it's cabaret. Yeah, like, cabaret. That's that's the feel. Um she w- also had like mental health issues early on in school. She was put under psychiatric evaluation after basically threatening suicide in fifth grade. 
Uh, and the writer described this as she was an, just another talented, slightly messed up young girl, one who liked socks that didn't match, clothes without seams, and her glass animal collection. <laughs> Clo- How do you get clothes without seams? I don't know. Just like a big tube, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but even then, you have to do something to tie, to stitch the two ends of the the fe- piece of fabric together to make a tube. I don't know. I don't know, man. We'll That's have to, tough. We'll have to investigate. That is tough. Um, and uh, her, what is not clear in this piece is her path really to becoming like a mega celebrity and someone or a mega, a mega pop Always star and someone. Always in these. The, th- the one mechanism that I want to know the most is, is the process from writing good songs to getting the record deal. And I feel like they always just gloss over that, you know? Yes. So uh, skipping, skipping forward to um, uh, the Emily Newsbaum piece uh, in the New Yorker. Ooh, are you kind of doing a two timelines thing with this? A little bit. Great. If, if you can follow it. I think I will. Okay, good. Will you shade them in different colors so I can follow along? Should I use like different accents or something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or should I do part my, my least favorite um, book practice, which is to put some sections in italics? Sure. And then you have to read like three pages with italics. Yeah. And you're like, this is kind of hard to read. Mm-hmm. It's a little slanted. Uh, yeah. Or you could put like a sub. We'll put a subtitle under this. Sure. Yeah. Or maybe like some music underneath yeah. or something. Uh, but later on, it actually explains why she got famous, kind of. Um, it, she said one night uh, at the age of 16, she was in her apartment staring down at Riverside Park. She's an Upper West Sider. Uh, when she thought she heard a voice telling her to record songs drawn from her notebooks. She flew to LA where her father was living and with his help recorded three songs. They made 78 demo tapes and he told her to prepare to hustle. Yet the first tape she shared was enough. A friend passed a copy to the music publicist she babysat for, who gave it to Andrew Slater, a prominent record producer and manager. Slater, then 37, hired a band, booked a studio in LA, and produced her debut album title. What? One tape One passed tape. to a, ba- a, a babysitter. A, from a babysitter. Songs were that good. They were. I mean, clearly yeah. they were. And so, she, yeah, she, she had said in all of these pieces she was writing poems and kind of songs since she was a kid and it really just was, I mean, the closest analog I can think of to today is really Billie Eilish. That's that's yeah, that is, that's pretty similar to the, Billie to Eilish, the LA yeah. family infrastructure. Yeah, Not exactly. everyone has a dad in LA. Yes. I don't have a dad Step in LA. Get, famous. get a dad in LA. <laughs> make sure, make sure you, you have an LA daddy kids. If you, if you want to be a pop star, make your dad move to LA Yes, and just have a it kind of, <laughs> Just like the Tobias Funke thing of yes. like just going to the lot and like passing out his headshot. Yes, exactly. It's a, it's a help your daddy follow his dreams day at yes. school today. Oh, uh, that's that's uh, that's wild. Isn't also, that, is I, that insane? I want uh, given the given the timeline, uh, a little bit different in age, but uh, Will Menneker, Fiona Apple, neighbor, uh, neighbors. Around the same time, maybe. Yeah, it, uh, this would have been the probably ran pat maybe ran past each other in different uh in in a in a, in a walk. Yeah, this would be the the early eighties for her for early to to late eighties. But oh, yeah, yeah, who's around when yeah. he was still in short pants? <laughs> we should we need to say that more for referring to to, to young to young to young, young boys. Um, so that that was her path to to becoming a musician, yeah, which is kind of insane. Um, 
And then went from just that within like a year was doing her this world is bullshit speech uh, at the VMAs. Are you familiar? I, I feel like I've seen the text for it. But should I try to do this? Find this clip? I would love for you to find this clip. All right. Uh, Fiona Apple. This world <laughs> is bullshit. Here we go. Ready? Ready. So ready. Oh, man. I didn't prepare a speech and I'm sorry, but I'm glad that I didn't because I'm not going to do this like everybody else does it. Because um, everybody that I should be thanking, I'm really sorry, but I have to use this time. See, Maya Angelou said that we, we as human beings at our best can only create co- opportunities. And I'm going to use this opportunity the way that I want to use it. So what I want to say is, um, everybody out there that's watching, everybody that's watching this world, this world is bull**t. And you shouldn't model your life. Wait a second. You shouldn't model your life about what you think that we think is cool and what we're wearing and what we're saying and everything. Go with yourself. Go with yourself. And there's just a few people that I want to say something to. I want to say, Mama, I love you. I'm so glad that we're becoming friends. Amber, I love you. You're my sister. You're my best friend. Andrew Slater, no one else could have produced this album and no one else did. (laughs) Um, And it's just stupid that I'm in this world, but you're all very cool to me, so thank you very much. And I'm sorry for all the people that I didn't thank, but man, it's good. Bye. I'm sorry. That's fucking cool. That is cool. I think that's cool. And she got shit on for that. She got shit on for that? She she did. She did. What? Not thanking her publicist? No, for for saying this world is bullshit. It turned immediately, you know, it was one of those, you know, when Uh, woman does something off script things that like, you know, made her seem crazy. Fact check. Zero Pinocchios. She was like 20. She's, and so she said in the, in the Rolling Stone piece, she, she said that she was a little drunk and she thought that Hanson was going to win. <laughs> so she, 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 was, she wasn't expecting. I mean, a fair thing to bat, bet on. Um, wait, which also, which, um, which VMA was it? Uh, was it video of the year? I, I don't know. New artist. It was new best artist. new artist, which is, yeah, of course, that's a very good, that's a very best new artist yeah. speech. Well, also, that why would anybody get mad at you for that? That's what you're supposed to do at the VMAs. That's what the MTV awards are there for to be the one where you go up a little drunk and say what's on your mind instead of having to do get played off while you thank 3000 producers assistants. I know Yeah, no, that is, that is what the VMAs is, is fueled by. Can't we have just chaos. one cool award that's chaotic and nobody gets upset about it. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we it's, we had talked about this a, a little while ago. Is that 2013 was the last per- perfect messy VMAs because yes. that was Miley Cyrus twerking, which again, that is something that yeah, and they've is, since is, cleaned it up or something. They you need an element of chaos. Yeah, if I ran VM the VMAs, I would uh, if I was the producer, I would um, get a very professional crew to pre-produce everything, uh, and then the night before the VMAs, fire half of the staff and rehire new ones and just see what happens. <laughs> didn't I'm trying. I mean, that sounds Oh wait. I, I'm like, didn't we know someone who had to write bits like really quickly for the I've VMAs? You people who have gotten VMA bit writing jobs, Uh past guest of the show, Jessica McKenna has appeared on the VMAs. Oh yeah. As a, uh, as a voice maybe, or maybe the, um, uh, the MTV movie awards. 
Yes. I forget which, but yes. Um, I mean, just just a reminder, like VMAs was when uh when you know Rose McGowan was wearing like a, a net, a, just like a, a net over her like naked tits and yeah. going out with Marilyn Manson. Yeah, it was great when stuff. uh I, little Kim got her tit out. It was um the J Lo dress was that there? No, that was the Grammys. Ah. Uh the you know my, Macy Gray wearing a floor length gown that said "Buy my new album." <laughs> it was good, and now the best they can do is um you know Lil Xan getting his face licked by Miley Cyrus's little sister. Yeah, who cares? It's, it's so lame. I I do miss I miss the old the old VMAs. If, if now Lil Xan zanned out and passed out on the red uh, red carpet. Now we're we're getting towards there. Or if he just wandered onto stage at an inappropriate time and they had to wrangle him off or something like that. Like that's the kind of stuff that I want. Yeah. From this. I'm pretty sure. Do you remember that interview where back when Angelina Jolie was dating Billy Bob Thornton and he was like, we fucked in the car on the way there. Yeah. I think that I don't know if that was VMAs or movie awards. Probably movie awards. Probably movie awards. Yeah. Oh, it was good time. And she also is that also where she wore the vial of his blood or did yeah. she just do that constantly? Well, she did it constantly, but she did it then. Uh, <laughs> side note, um, our, our you know friend and collaborator, Matthew Perpetua, has proposed a uh, 60 clip list of a vma power hour which i think bali is going to take a swing at putting together sometime in the near future yep so every 60 seconds is a new clip from the classic clip from avmas throughout its history yes uh but yes uh more chaos vmas give it give, we need some chaos some good chaos in this world yes but yeah no that i think that instance uh you know made made fiona apple's image look unstable because it was oh is that the ungrateful yeah, that's part of the ungrateful part is which I don't know that, that my personal feeling is just like I think that's good and I think you have now like a Billie Eilish who is very critical of I think certain tendencies in the music industry and yet like she'll go in in a entire body full of uh, Burberry and accept any award that's given to her and say thank you. It's cool. It's cool to be I just don't a little agree that it's ungrateful because MTV exists to be cool and edgy. You want I'm sure whoever's producing the VMAs was like watching her do that in the, in the control room going, yes, yes, yeah. yes, fuck yes, 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 keep going, bullshit, yeah. yes, yes, bleep <laughs> it, bleep it, yes. Put it on her delay, put it on her delay. Uh, I mean, and the I guess the other portion of her, the flavor of her early fame besides that unstable looking yeah. element is that, I mean, the video that got her to the point where she won the best new artist VMA was for criminal. It was directed by Mark Romanek and it was criticized heavily because it was Fiona Apple as a young per, I think maybe still 18 or something mm -hmm. in a, you know, stages of undress surrounded by skin, thin models also not wearing much clothing. And so that was put forth as the kind of uh, Oh my God, this is what our kids are, you know, looking at and idolizing. And, and the whole thing was, to, I mean, she has says in multiple of these interviews that she's like, kind of supposed to be ironic yeah or like it was kind of mo it was it was supposed to make you feel uncomfortable right because it is uncomfortable yes like me me with a bunch of models who are like playing dead who look like they've od'd yeah and then like you know a year later you have the non-ironic version of that and like britney spears right and people are like these are the same the wise <laughs> the wise men bowed bowed his head solemnly and said there is no difference between the good and bad there's things. no there's a there's no difference between these two pictures yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah I don't know. So that, I mean, that was her, her 
like kind of early first burst that these. <laughs> I mean, that is the reason that I've always, even coming. though I've never like really resonated with the music that I've always liked her because she is kind of a uh, a musical and at least pop cultural shit poster. Yeah, I mean, she and she says she says to the the reporter for Rolling Stone, she said to anyone that knows me, I just had something on my mind and I just said it, and that's really the foreshadowing of my entire career and my entire life. When I have something to say, I'll say it. Yeah, and she does. Yeah, she she is not a very media trained person i mean now now i guess and what's she's more irritating than a media a well media trained pop star awful awful yeah. no no one likes that either I don't and like it's that. also it's like you're never going to get like a legendary like bruno mars interview yeah because he just is like i like it. he's like this new album is all the sounds that we've been waiting to bring you <laughs> i mean i don't know i've never read an interview with, with bruno mars but that's like what i imagine him being like I just a, a, a nice non-controversial pop star. I don't know. People. When you said that, I was just like, I feel like he's wearing a top hat when he's saying that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, guys and girls, yeah. we got the, the fresh new Bruno Mars sound for you <laughs> Mars, coming right yeah. up. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna keep going, but I'm gonna Google Bruno Mars controversy and see if there's if it comes back up. I, I'm genuinely curious now. Uh, so yeah, she says, I mean, she says basically whatever she wants. That's, that is, she predicted the rest of her career. That is true. Mm -hmm. It's funny. And later on in the, um, in the current day New Yorker article, she basically says, she says that she's afraid of being so forthright because it's not like she says, I'm afraid of being canceled, but like the amount of scrutiny means that anything can be twisted. Anything can be taken out of right, context. Exactly. Um, and she got a good response for like a New York magazine interview, maybe last year. And that was when criminal was, she let uh, JLo license it for hustlers okay. and then donated all the proceeds, all the royalties that year to refugee related charities. Cool. Sure. And she basically, and so she got a lot of good attention for that. And she, she still told Emily Newsbomb, she's like, I still think that even this isn't good. Like, even the best case scenario still freaks me out and makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, because you, I mean, I can imagine that very much of being like, all right, Jennifer Lopez doing a stripper movie wants to do criminal. Sounds cool. Sure. And then you have to like read a billion headlines about in rare public relations appearance, Fiona Apple licenses song. And yeah. then you're like, all right, whatever. I don't need this money. Here's a, a nice little donation I'm making. Like Fiona Apple heroically donates all proceeds to. Yeah, I can just I can see how that level of yeah. just like diffraction of it. Be, well, it's I feel is like uncomfortable. The, the celebrity thing is once you've released that, uh, attain that level of celebrity, you just have to imagine everything you do being prefaced with the most extreme adjective yeah. possible. Yeah. So it's like you know you see that maybe most recently in like the Corona stuff. Where it's like, you know, if you're like, all right, shit, it's coronavirus pandemic. I need to go to the, the store to get some food. Got to put on this mask. Got to go outside. Got to do my little weekly run to the corner store or whatever. And then you go just imagining that activity being prefaced with like Molly O'Brien heroically dons face mask amidst <laughs> coronavirus fears to travel bravely to the store. Yes. Yeah. Right. That is that is the the tabloid vernacular but i also just think thinking about that uh thinking about her her hesitation to just fart everything into the universe the way she maybe used to is that it is good i do i think it actually is good for celebrities to think a little bit before they talk i i don't know i think right now especially uh mid mid corona and then uh as all this civil unrest is building people certainly have been having the time to look back at celebrities uh behavior and being like this you 
Yeah. Have you have you seen that on Twitter? Yeah. The this you comes for us all if we are not careful with the way we express ourselves. Uh, and I think being conscientious is actually a good thing sometimes for some people. Bruno Mars accused of cultural appropriation as black artists rush to his defense is the headline that I'm reading. Am I insane? I thought he was black. <laughs> he is he Latino? Uh, yes. Yes. He his, is his. his his mother is Filipina and his father is Puerto Rican and Jewish. Got it. Uh, but apparently something he did something on 24 karat magic to, uh, I don't know, R and B for some people's com- comfort and uh, people got mad at him. Oh boy. But I'm sure whatever he said in response was very curated and well managed and he diffused the situation uh, uh, in a perfectly manicured pu- uh, public relations way. Yes. Um, the other, I think the only other thing I'll say about this, this idea of like being perceived by the media and having things you say interpreted is that she is almost uniquely in a position to be interpreted. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Because she was basically like a very wordy, poetic teenager. Yeah. And that put her in a certain like realm of like artistry that I don't think Britney Spears had to deal with or the spice girls had to deal with. they're not they're not many readings of hit me baby one more time yeah it's because of who who she was it's you know kind of like the the intellectuals pop star like Mm -hmm. or like a a slightly more pretentious read of that means that everything trying to do stuff like the criminal video ironically ironically yeah yeah like trying to be ironic without literally having a song called ironic Suck on that, Alanis. Suck on that. Suck on that. No, we love you, Alanis. Alanis, another another teenager, uh, another '90s, you know, maybe early '20s, uh, huge, huge, massive pop star. Of the, uh, who I also think is like one of those '90s idiosyncratic things. But even Alanis makes more sense to me than Fiona Apple. Makes more straightforward sense because those songs are more, I feel like, traditional pop songs mm-hmm. with like monster choruses. And you like hooks and stuff, and, and more even though rock, honestly, more rock. And even though they're like, they're still kind of in that that like, wh- I don't know, confessional like confessional songwriter, confessional female songwriter. Thank you. Yeah. Mode. <laughs> Sometimes uh, I could read your mind. <laughs> uh, they, um, you know, they 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 are more traditional pop songs. Yeah. And I, again, I think that Alanis Morissette would probably. Uh, well, now that I'm thinking about it, I think Alanis would probably have more ease breaking through now as like the same kind of person than Fiona Apple, than Fiona Applewood. I think I would agree, especially since I, once again, I would say the closest analog to Fiona Apple now is Billie Eilish. Right. Uh, but Billie Eilish is far more influenced by hip hop, hip hop, uh, pop, straightforward pop, pop. Music. Yeah. yeah. Well, in her collaborators aesthetic, um, yeah. yeah, all that stuff, even though there, I mean, if I, I mean, people I, listen to this, the singles of, of, uh, when we all fall asleep, where. That is such a Billie Eilish's album title is such a Fiona Apple ass title. When we all fall asleep, where do we go? All yep. it needs is another you know six lines six of a lines, poem. Yes, um, but that's the singles are one way. Like the the album cuts are pretty jazzy. Yeah. Honestly, uh, but I, I you know I could still imagine Fiona Apple eventually be. I just don't imagine her becoming right out the gate a huge pop star. I imagine her slowly building a cult following and mm-hmm. then like maybe breaking through and after a few years. Yeah. At the, at this point of time, God, we used to be so much more friendly to piano players. Yes, we had Alicia Keys, Fiona Apple, Vanessa Carlton, and now it's just like, where have all the pianos gone? Uh, I heard you're throwing away your piano and getting a mixing table. <laughs> getting getting Ableton is Ableton a mixing table? 
No, I'm thinking about the 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 two turntable things that EDM DJs use. Oh, I see. I'm mixing. Uh, yeah. Um, there in this Rolling Stone profile, and just another uh, weird detail to point out is that uh, with Fiona's uh, permission slash encouragement, the writer tracks down her ex who goes <laughs> to Columbia University. Uh, and her ex uh, basically says, yeah, uh, I had a great, I dated Fiona for like a year. It was great. Um, and then I started seeing this other girl and liking her a little bit. And uh, Fiona said one day, I never want to see you again. And then a year later, an album's out. <laughs> so they, they basically tracked down this guy that a lot of the songs are about. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was just like, yeah, wow, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> uh, I hope he was like, you know what? Good for her. <laughs> he said He said that he saw... Um, the video for the song sleep to dream for the first time when he was making out with a girl in his dorm and he had to stop, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is like, I mean, that's wonderfully effective. Is he so vain? Does he think those but he's songs right. are about him? He's right. He's right. Okay. Um, can we play sleep to dream? Absolutely. We have not. I haven't heard that. that song in a while, ma'am. I'm sorry. This song is about me. I have to turn it off before I continue kissing you. <laughs> One thing I think I mentioned up top offhandedly that I appreciate her songs in her music but I don't like actually like personally is how like clicky her percussion is always is. It's always like a series of like high pitch clicks. Yeah, I understand why you don't like it. It's pretty subtle. I appreciate it. I think it's an interesting choice and it lends a lot to the specificity of her music throughout her career. But I, I need that big beefy snare. It's so funny that this she recorded this when she was 19 and it does share a lot of DNA with what she what Unfetchable Cutters is. Yeah. No, I mean, everything I've heard from her throughout her career, and of course I'm not a, a Fiona deep diver, di- diver. I'm not a big uh, uh, Applesmith. Uh, is it, it, all, it all sounds the same, uh-huh. but it's all a little different. She has a very consistent aesthetic. She does, sonically. yeah. Like... I, I, I doubt that all the musicians that she uses, especially because she records over, what, a 25-year time at the mm-hmm. time period at this time, are the same. But it all sounds like, I, from what I've heard, you can play almost any song out of any of her albums, and it's like, this sounds like the same band, almost from the same recording session, but just a slightly different flavor to it. Yeah. If anything, I think it's gotten rawer over time, especially yeah. the last two albums. I feel like Extraordinary Machine was the last one that had like kind of a glossy polishness yeah, yeah. and like I don't know, it gets pretty hardcore. She's also oh, she's just such a rhythmic part like for someone who you would think would maybe be more into melody yeah. because she's playing like a piano. Uh she's much more of a rhythmic uh songwriter well you know it's i think it's telling that one of the first things that i identify from her music is the the quality of the rhythm section yeah and one of the things i find most identifying about it and that's from fetch the bolt Bull- cutters too here let's let's skip all the way forward and do it yeah the Bull a, a comparison would be good um that well that's like one of the things about the the 
album, right? Is that a lot of it is her like banging on shit in her house and like playing her table and yeah, front door th- and stuff? This, I mean, this, this is a studio album. By the time we get to Fetch the Bolt Cutter, she is only recording in her house uh, with just random, you know, bones. Does she have like shit. a producer with her? Or is she like doing it all by herself? No, she has a she has like an engineer. But she, I think she's been working with the same like Fiona five Apple's live-in engineer, who I imagine just like sleeping on a couch in her basement, and then just gets called up, being like, "I need to record, uh, Greg. I need to record these dishes." <laughs> Greg, Greg, I just the way a fork just clattered on my plate sounded really fucking cool. I'm, I'm gonna need you to, I'm gonna to need come in here right away. Forty takes of this fork. All right, so um, this is Sleep we, Regime. Can we play Relay? Is that off uh, off of Fetch the Bowl Cutters? Because this I realize interesting because it's super rhythmic, uh, but it's the chorus of it, which I think it starts with the chorus lines. Uh, she wrote when she was sixteen, so she's still so working off some bridge. material that she's had for a long time. No, I see what you're saying. Like her, her vocal lines are very rhythmic. rhythmic. Yeah, and you can hear what I'm saying about like you know that there's like clicky. busy, it's clicky. like clicky. Yeah, yeah, it's got like the side of a snare drum. I will say that maybe the development that I most recognize here is that it's much more of a, just a soundscape. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm doing the symbol of hitting that hi hat or whatever it is, a pan that's hanging from a hook. Evil is a relay spark when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. Evil is a relay spark when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. At a certain point, I guess uh, these later songs almost seem like how to say this, like exercises or something. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Where she's like working, it, 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 which is interesting because it seems like she's almost working in an interesting way. They have like a circular like logic they, yeah. to it. When yeah. she comes in with those rounds and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, she's also, I mean, early albums, it was kind of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, uh, um, chorus, outro. And now, like, I, these are much more structureless, or like they might have like two halves. Uh, it almost reminds me of somebody who, um, even though I'm sure this is very specifically constructed and like works out that way in her mind, it almost sounds like somebody who has like a OCD because sam- <laughs> she does. Sure. Uh, no, <laughs> we'll, I was get, gonna, we'll get into that in a second. Yes, I'm sh- which is the part where I'm sure it's very specifically constructed and every element is very specifically in place. But it almost mm-hmm. sounds like or gives the impression of somebody who's just like jamming using like a loop pedal for their vocals and like a sampler. Yeah. You know, where mm-hmm. they have like these percussion samples behind them and is just experimenting, like singing over themselves on a loop pedal and then like using the, the singing against their own loops in a round. 
If you think that, can I give you another suggestion of what to play? Yes. Will you play um, "On I Go" from the from Fetch the, Fetch the Bolt Cutters? Fuck the Bolt Cutters. Fuck the man. man fuck, fuck the fuck, bolt. fuck your bolts. All right. So that was relay off Fetch the Bolt Cutters, and then we're gonna go "On I Go." This is the last track. Yeah. This is the one that I thought you were going to like the most. All right. See, just this clicks immediately. <laughs> That kind of like round thing. Yeah. It's also in a weird time signature. Yeah. Uh, yes, I mean I've seen Fiona live clips of Fiona, and I know that she plays with like a like a ten piece band or something. Yeah, which is one way you could do this. But again, it seems like another way you could do this was would be just with a sampler and a, and a, a loop. Yeah, vocalizer. yeah, you could theoretically do this by yourself. And that's, I think that's probably by design. She wants it to sound like she just, it's just her, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of piano on this album, right? Uh, earlier in the album, yes. And then it kind of fades away, away to, to more just like and banging mess. And, yeah. and bass. It's messy. It is. It's good. Again, I, 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 I love mess. <laughs> I, love, I love mess. This is, honestly, this, this kind of shit is the closest I get to liking prog music that I kind of I kind of think I kind of think of this as like my own personal prog music because it's like I get what you say yeah. weird time signatures like weird structures weird exploration weird, of sonic tapestries yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it's not you know a 36 uh, suite uh, though cla- she like could probably do that yeah she could if you wanted to I would love the, the Fiona, Fiona explicitly prog album that had like suites and movements and stuff like that yeah Again, I appreciate this. So it's not. So it's not. It's, your, it's not something I would. I would voluntarily come back to. Yeah. Um. Moving on. Yes. Although moving, moving on, moving, moving, back, moving backwards. Moving forward, yes. Who can say? Uh, moving around. The sort of the the thing that I haven't yet discussed in content warning. We're talking about sexual assault mm-hmm. is that uh, in this early press coverage of Fiona Apple at the beginning of her career, she basically she had a song um, on title called Sullen Girl and an Italian journalist apparently asked her if it was about like a breakup. And she's like, no, it was about when I was raped when I was 12. And so she she basically got she, she got raped by a stranger who followed her into her apartment building. Jesus Christ. Uh, in New York when she was, you know. A child, uh, yes. um, which is horrific, and it's it's funny. You don't. I feel like that's like the story that you hear as the way to tell you to be like afraid of sexual assault. When, yeah. When in like reality, most, stranger. Yeah. Yeah. Mo- most of you know statistically, we know most sexual assault happen from people that you know or people that right. you're you know that aren't complete strangers. But so she had like what any I think most women would describe as like the worst possible thing yes, to happen absolutely. to you. 
And she told she told people she told the press about it. She told an Italian. Italian. She told an Italian, and then so by that, <laughs> what? I don't want to dra- disparage Italians. You can. Too much. You are Italian. You can disparage. Uh, Italians. But uh, maybe the least sympathetic audience to that. <laughs> I thought you were just gonna say like they were gonna be like, oh, uh, I'm feeling a society for you. <laughs> no. No more. Worse. More, more the other way. <laughs> yeah, not society at all. Um, so. She she told the press that she didn't have to tell the press that yeah. at all. Um, she either could say you know she could lie and say the song is about something different or whatever, but she didn't. Uh, and so by this the time this song was about a traumatic time in my life, right? She could totally, and that's how many women, many people have talked about song meetings. Like yeah, yeah. people have been vague before, but I don't think it ever occurred to her. Um, and she, you know, because that became kind of like a fact of the narrative of her album everyone either asked, started asking her about it or she would basically get ahead of them and be like, listen, I know you're going to ask about my rape, so I'm just going to say it. She said, uh, the way she puts it is, uh, please don't act like I've got food in my teeth. It's out in the open. It's not something I'm embarrassed about, so don't act like it's something that I should be embarrassed about. Right. Which is cool. Yeah. And nobody was doing it at this time. Nobody. Yes. And Emily Nussbaum acknowledges that um, in the New York article that basically since then, like, you know, Kesha, Lady Gaga, Mm -hmm. um, like it's just been way more prevalent and normal to uh, tell people that you've been sexually assaulted because sexual assault is prevalent and normal, unfortunately. But that was Fiona. And she, I think she took the heat for that back then because poor girl, I don't know. She probably didn't want to talk about it all the fucking time. Already so adverse to that kind of relationship with, I mean, not adverse is not the, maybe the right word because I don't think that she has like an adversarial relationship with the press but just is it like already uh, less interested in that aspect of popularity, right? Yeah. To have to then re- relive this thing over and over again. And I'm sure people were extremely not tactful about that right now because yeah. what you want is a good quote from Fiona Apple to put in your story. Right. The more uh, lurid, the better. Yeah. And in the spin article, she, she does make a point to bring up uh, her rape before, um, the journalist does and the journalist does know in general her behavior is kind of like once again sort of performing the uh unstable or um you know poor little waif kind of thing yeah uh so yeah i don't know i mean she's it sounds like she's trying to be defensive in in a way where she like knows how these things go and is trying to set herself up to be uh protected in some way yeah uh, and then the other thing that uh, the Rolling Stone article mentions is uh, her eating disorder, which, again, is something that honestly, I, I'm guessing that is something that is still much more, much more common in the music industry and much less discussed yeah. than sexual assault even now. Uh, but she was basically talking about how she uh, she said, I felt like I had no control over my life. And the only way for me to take control of her life was to basically starve herself. Right. Which is. Um, as far as I understand, a fairly common like description of, of, of yeah. entering, uh, eating disorders. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that once again, that is, uh, something that she talked about in 1998 that yeah. like not a lot of people were talking about. Though I'm basically, you know, I don't want to be flippant about it, but what probably like at least the majority of female, pop musicians in the nineties had some kind of disordered eating. Oh yeah. 100%. I mean, every, Jessica Simpson, yep. who we talked about several things ago, got a, literally the ink wasn't dry in her 
record contract and uh, Tommy Batola was like, you need to lose 15 pounds. And she started, she took diet pills for yeah. 15 years. Although I, that is again, not to drill into this too much, the, the anxiety induced disorder, disordered eating, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe has in this industry, maybe a qualitative difference than the image based disordered eating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not that I know I enough that, about that to dig into it, but I, you know, I'm sure yeah. that it goes. I'm sure that there are many cases in both ways of this, but you know. Yeah, I mean, she she herself, I don't think she, she doesn't say it explicitly, but then in the New Yorker article that came out all those years later, like I think she did associate it with more OCD than mm-hmm. with you know the idea that you need to be thin to be uh, a pop star. Yeah. Uh, because she did, I I think the the uh, the psychiatric medication for her psychiatric problem had to do with. Uh, obsessive compulsive disorder which she describes later like you know not wanting to eat something because it doesn't match her like dress sure or when she was a kid she would like she would walk around her piano 88 times to like uh you know for the number of keys yeah to like have everything be normal like stuff like yeah, that yeah, yeah stuff like that but it's i feel bad because that would just take so long <laughs> yeah i i think it's incredibly disruptive yes. to, to normal life activities um, what they didn't discuss, and I don't know if this has been clear in the discussion so far, because we've talked about it a little bit, is what her fucking music sounds like. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! They did a. They mentioned slightly in the Rolling Stone article that um, it's you know there's elements of jazz and hip hop, and then in the Spin article that came out a year before that, really they mentioned that like she it's... liked hip hop, but she they literally did not say speak word one. If you had never heard her music before and you bought the the issue of Spin. You could not. You would be forgiven for reading the article and be like, "I have no, no idea, idea what. what kind of music this is." I. The funny thing is, is that you say j- jazz and hip hop, but I'm like, it sounds like musical. At least the the early albums, it sounds like musical music. Yeah. Uh, in as much as musicals are jazzy, or even era, uh, at this time, probably much less hip hop influenced, but it sounds like cabaret influenced music. And I think that people say that if it's in hip hop influenced, I don't see that as much as as cabaret influenced. Yeah, I think some of the the drums were vaguely like breakbeaty, but like that's and that they're like they're heavily rhythmic. But so is a lot I, of things. So are a lot of things. I see that more as like a from a, a more like dance background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that I mean. <laughs> I just think that there's like a cadre of music writers around this time. Certainly not all of them who are like, who are just like trying to process things and just looking, looking at music being like, is this, is this rock or is this hip hop or is this woman or is it? Yes. Yes. That is, I mean, that's what the, the only description of her music in the spin article was confessional singer songwriter, confessional singers, which is why as I was searching for words, you had to put that. Yeah. Yes. Because it, it is funny that that becomes a genre in I, and of itself, regardless think, of what it sounds like. I do think, especially in this portion of the nineties, I mean, I guess this is like the post Lilith fair type of commercial lane for this type of music. That is like, Oh, there is a viable pop lane, commercial critical pop lane for confessional singer songwriter. That's either Rocky or whatever Fiona Apple is he <laughs> musically yeah. or uh, you know, or a country if you're mm-hmm. Shania Twain. Yeah. Shania Twang. Shania, Sh- Shania Twainy. It has a certain Shania Twang it, about it. It does have a certain tw- Shania Twang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So that's, I mean that uh, I've come to the end of that. The, uh, 
the nineties magazine cover stories, which is just like, what if what if girl but song? <laughs> song girl sad? Song girl sad? <laughs> song girl thin, crazy, and sad? Song girl or song girl sad or song girl mad? Song girl complicated. <laughs> uh truly, why she have to go and be so complicated? <laughs> Um, okay, so that's, you know, New York-based, complicated, uh, performing slash uh, resentful of that performance, young Fiona Apple. Sure. Fast forward many years, you get the New Yorker profile. She is living in uh, Venice in in California. Venice Beach. Venice Beach. Uh, she rarely leaves her house. Okay. <laughs> she, she basically only takes walks with her dog on the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, she used to do a, re- a residency at Largo in LA and great. has stopped doing that. The, whole, the home of podcast, all those great podcast recordings we know and love. Yeah, it's funny. She, it's, she, I'm, does she have like musician buds besides like her own personal band? Maybe, but she always has associated herself with like other types of performers. She dated David Blaine for, for some time. That's David Paul Thomas wild. Anderson. She did. She, she did was, Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, oh did she really she friends with Quentin Tarantino? Like she did these videos with Zach Galifianakis. Like, I think she has more of an affinity maybe for hanging out for with like non music for like types. the cool LA scene. Yeah. I mean, if she was at Largo that much, she probably hung out with every, you know, every, comedian. Literally every. But she, you know what? She dated Louis C.K. for a little bit. Did not know that. Sent him a very, uh, she sent him an encouraging note after he came back from cancellation um, saying, dig deeper. When Remember when he first, when the reports of his first couple of stand-up sets after coming back from all the, the dick waving. Yeah. Um, and just kind of like hacky jokes kind of about it. Mm-hmm. She wrote him a note being like, I think you can do better to like think about what you did and like channel that into something. I mean, I don't have much uh, imagination that for CK's level of introspection around, around this, I think that he is weirdly a hev- heavily introspective person, but I think that he is also very like blocked about certain parts of Clearly. his ways. Clearly. But I, would hope that a letter from Fiona Apple say saying, "Bro, you you can go you can go a little deeper than this would would be affecting." Yeah, your your ex GF Fiona. Um, but that later in the piece, she she acknowledges that she did that, and then she uh she is texting Emily Newsom being like, "Uh, he's so oh, wait, I need to I didn't write this down, but I need to look it up." I when you said Paul Thomas Anderson's because we were talking about Largo for a second, I was thinking of of P F Tompkins. Uh oh, oh right right right, um, <laughs> which is why I was so surprised. Paul uh, Paul Thomas Anderson makes more sense. So this here here's the actual text because I don't want to misrepresent it. Uh, this is from the New Yorker article. Apple was briefly involved with a comedian Louis C.K. After the Times published an expose of his sexual misconduct in 2017, uh, she had faith that C.K. would be the first target of hashtag #MeToo to take responsibility for his actions, maybe by creating subversive comedy about shame and compulsion. When a hacky stand-up set of his was leaked online, she sent him a warm note urging him to dig deeper. One of the women C.K. harassed was Rebecca Corey, a stand-up comedian who founded an advocacy organization for pit bulls, Stand Up for Pits. Uh, Apple began working with the group. She is a pit bull owner. Sure. Uh, and once she got to know Corey, she started to see CK in a harsher light. The comedy that she had admired for his honesty now looked, quote, like a smoke screen, unquote, she said. In a text, she told me that if CK wasn't capable of more severe self-scrutiny, quote, he's useless, unquote. She added, quote, I shake when I have to think and write about myself. It's scary to go there, but I go there. He is so weak. Ah, uh, yes. I mean, that's accurate, right? 
And I think that 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 smokescreen thing is what I was trying to talk, say earlier is that I he has a certain level of introspection, but I think it is, I think that's what it makes his comedy good. But it seems in retrospect of the past few years revelations, it seems that it is all part of creating an elaborate facade of justification. Yeah. That if I am this honest, quote unquote, honest about certain things that allows me to indulge other, as she says, shames and compulsions. Yes. Um, which is, as she identifies, enormously disappointing. Yes. From somebody who apparently or seemingly talks so honestly about themselves. Yeah. That's yeah. why there there is a different. I've seen this in some sort of discourse recently that uh, it, there's a difference between being vulnerable and just being good at talking about things that sound vulnerable. Yes, exactly. And, and I it think seems that was that his in the in the trick. final diagnosis that CK is the latter. Yes. Um, so that's <laughs> there is a slight um, Brita from Community flavor of like, well, now that I've hung out with uh, the the woman that this guy harassed, and we have these pit bulls in common, <laughs> now I realize he's a bad guy. I don't, it's clearly yeah, yeah, yeah. not as simple as that, but it is, but kind it of is funny. funny. Yeah, yeah. I can excuse racism, but not animal cruelty. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, so she's anyway. We're you know. What what is she doing? She's she's in Venice. She's kind of a, a recluse, a she's, hermit. She's simply vibing. She's simply vibing. She you know, but the music she hasn't lost. She, the music still comes to her. It t- it just takes literally years to 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 write and record it. And so Emily Newsbaum is seeing her kind of in the midst of at the tail end of recording. Sure. And as it's being like mixed and turned into a real album. Uh, God, I'm I'm sure the uh, oh I'm just realizing that the last song off the idler wheel is called Largo, which I assume. Yes, that is what it's named for. And apparently that used to, I'm not sure if it still does autoplay on the Largo website <laughs> in a sort of MySpace way that, never, that was noted. And then I've New never York been article. to Largo. One of the times when we go to LA, I feel like I should make a, a sojourn there as a, as a, a real po- podcast Mecca. Yeah. What was I going to say? Oh, I, I cannot imagine what the back end of the like the producing back end of something like fetch the bull cutters looks like the number of clips mm-hmm. and tracks and versions and takes and just scraps of sounds yes. that they must have yeah. to like the organizational process, but behind putting something like this together yeah. must be uh mind boggling to anybody who is not Fiona Apple or her like core team of, of recordists and engineers. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you have to basically be speaking the Fiona Apple language, language yeah. which you learn only after years yep. of like frustration. Uh, f- so you want to swap in Forks 10A take three for Forks uh, 7B take one? <laughs> yes, please. All right, let me get drive six out and and, and find these files. Uh, the, the way the recording series is described, there's a... a a beat up wooden desk and a computer on which Apple recorded tracks using GarageBand. There's a mic stand and a Day of the Dead painting of a smiling female skeleton holding a skeleton dog. Every <laughs> every surface from the shelves to the floor was covered in a mulch of battered percussion instruments: bells, wooden blocks, drums, metal squares. Mulch. <laughs> it rocks that people on and again this 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 just goes into how the technology does not make the music that Fiona Apple is recording this album using GarageBand. Yes. And no, I mean, I'm I will be the first to say that I think the like anti-autotune, anti, you know, technological manipulation of of vocals and instruments is 
uh, uh, inherently a bad thing. I don't think it is a bad thing. I like a lot of auto-tune music. Yeah, of course. Uh, but Fiona Apple is, you know, the joke on YouTube comments is like, auto-tune has left the chat. Auto-tune was never in the chat yes. for Fiona Apple. Yes, yes, yes. And especially not... Uh, Emily Newsbound described it like a dog me 95 filmmaker. She rejects <laughs> digital smoothing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, which I think is cool. You can hear like it sounds like it. It's yep. that. And I think that's refreshing. I don't know. It's it's nice to have both. It's nice to have your your hundreds of gecks. Yes. Uh, doing the autotune thing. And then you have Fiona Apple who you can hear literally her vocal cords going like <laughs> it's great. Everything is very clear on a Fiona Apple recording. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. One one interesting thing that I wanted to call out for you is that, you know, even even though this profile is written 20 years later by a woman with a, a more of a woman's radical sensitivity, dare I say, <laughs> they still bring the ex-boyfriend into it. They ask Jonathan Ames actually comes over to Fiona's house and they like have a little chat, which is like such a weird it's such a weird scene. Uh <laughs> You you like Jonathan Ames yeah. for being the creator of uh, the HBO show Bored to Death. Great, wonderful show. Again, her dating record is so funny. It's like Zach Galifianakis was in Bored to Death. She is just like r- running through the like goofy alt artists and comedians yeah. of the aughts. Well, just funny because, you know, especially in the early way she was portrayed as this like tortured soul. And obviously I think comedians are tortured souls too, but I don't know. It just seems like she hangs out with, with like, like sensitive goofballs. Funny. Yeah. Funny weirdos. I think she's a funny yeah, weirdo as well. I didn't make sense. Like even the, the outlier in that Paul Thomas Anderson went on to marry Maya Angelou, a, a, a goofball. Yeah. Yeah. So Maya Angelou, Maya Rudolph. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. But she quoted Maya Angelou earlier. Yeah, she did. She did. Um, so yeah, no, Jonathan Ames comes over and they're like, they're kind of like reminiscing about the good times, but then end up getting into like an argument because he insists that her, her knee pain that she's been complaining about because she's been doing so much hiking is actually just all in her mind. Okay. <laughs> and she basically like kind of kicks him out. She's like, I think you should go surfing now. Like, you need, I think, I think it's probably time for you to get out of here. Otherwise the waves aren't going to be as good. Like get out of here, Jonathan. Uh, and she also she brings up that he he used to call her the negative juicer because he <laughs> when he was mad at her because she would just like only get the like negative shit out of like an interaction or mm. a thing. So, you know, plus change plus you have to get Fiona Apple's ex-boyfriends in there. Yeah. Uh, also in the piece is that the, you know, dating Paul Thomas Anderson wasn't a picnic, uh, kind of portrays him as a little bit, I would say, emotionally abusive, mm. uh, you know, described one one instance where she basically she was in therapy and they suggested that it would be good for her to work with other like kids with OCD at like a hospital. Okay. And when she like PT Anderson like drove her there and then like literally pushed her out of the car. Like, I mean, I said, I just said emotional abuse. That's like physical. Uh, just, I don't know. It doesn't sound like she said that he would like whisper uh, mean shit in her ear at parties and then she would like start crying and she would be like, he's just making me look crazy in front of people. Like, like it's making it look like I'm just like bursting into tears at this party for no reason. But he just like said something mean. Uh, That's not good gossip about PT Anderson. Not at all. No, don't don't love to hear that. Um, Separately. She said that she uh, quit. She quit cocaine after a long night of uh, doing cocaine with Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino in his screening room. You, this was the story that you mentioned to me before we went into this, and the the image of having to trying to keep up with a coked out PT Anderson and Quentin Tarantino 
in Tarantino's screening room. Yeah. Look, I love both those guys' artistic contributions to the medium, but I couldn't, and I, even given these new revelations about P.T. Anderson, I would love to pick their brains about film, <laughs> but I could not imagine a more obnoxious scene than those two dudes just going at it. Yeah. Coked up over, about movies and stuff yeah. and being Fiona Apple and being like, probably wanting to be like, I, can we we talk about music a little? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, she, she described it as an excruciating night. Yeah. And that's what it's, it does sound excruciating. Yeah. Um, so that's no man. The, the, the way that the camera moves on the last Comanche of the Nazarene, is just an, an amazing, the, the way he put points, the lens, the lens choices uh, that they use in the, <laughs> <laughs> Oh God. It's like 10 hours of that. Yeah. Oh Jesus. Um, so yeah, the, you know, and I don't, this is my own personal interpretation is that I don't think she meant to cancel him. I think she is just trying to be honest about her experience with a guy that I think a lot of people think is like, you know, you know, one of the great, the great movie boys. Yeah. The big movie boys. I mean, a lot of the stuff that the way that the tone that she says seems to be like we've said many times, seems to be just more like explaining stuff about her. Yeah. Right. Just explaining the way that she has behaved for some time and is interpreted by other people. Weirdly. Yeah. What else? That, th- those are kind of the main uh, takeaways. The, the other thing is that in um, at this point, she's been living with a woman named Zelda Hallman, who Emily Newsbaum describes as an affable, silver-haired lesbian. Okay. Uh, they're living together platonically. Like, sh- they literally met while walking their dogs, like, and kind of hit it off and made friends and then she like moved in and like it seems like the the pro- the network of dog owners has become very very important to her later in life i think so i mean i do think she's probably one of those people who's just like maybe prefers dogs to people which fair i don't know why white women do be loving their dogs white women do um i don't know that those those are the main things the kind of revelations of like you know i think the the sort of single uh Sing- singular image of like broody, gloomy, complicated Fiona Apple. And then, you know, the way that that sort of transmogrified over time into like legendary, iconic Fiona Apple right. is that like, I do think if you let women just like be long enough, they will be redeemed like Monica Lewinsky. Yeah. Or like, uh, you know, fucking Anna Nicole Smith. If we, if we had, <laughs> if she had gotten more time. Enough, yeah. Um, I, yeah. The, messy i feel like if you just like leave messy women alone like they it'll be proven that they weren't actually messy yeah i mean that was and, a, that I mean, was she, gonna be my Fiona apple's still messy she's living she's doesn't leave her house and she's like she's recorded this album full of like dogs barking and like bells ringing <laughs> but she's not she's definitely not the same person i think that was portrayed in these like right. early interviews but then also she, again to go back to my original thought of her is that she is in this kind of absolutely unique position where she could get that big that early on with this kind of artistic output and maintain that level of stardom. Yeah. Struggling against the fame, but maintaining the level of popularity. Well, I have no idea how the new album did in terms of popularity. I mean, you think at least in no, ter- no one ma- had any, one, anything else to listen to, but, but maintaining maybe an audience, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and allowing her to go about her life in the, in this way, I mean, creates kind of a, a, a unique, story or trajectory around Fiona Apple, right? Yeah, it does. There's not many other people who have had careers like her and still has a lot of career to go. 
Yeah. I yeah. mean, considering what? We have, uh, is it five albums? Five. Four. No, four. No, four. Wait. Ooh, ooh. Four albums. Five. T- title, Win the title, Pond, when the Extraordinary pond, Machine. Extraordinary yeah, Machine, Idler Wheel. Five albums over 20 years. She's like 42. Yeah. Another five, six Fiona Apple albums at that rate? Yeah. Maybe. Also, I mean, I think it's also worth noting, and I, I don't think that was super noted in the New Yorker piece is like she did manage to somehow go from someone who was, I think a lot of the reason that she got famous in the first place, besides the the great tunes is she was like a skinny, good looking white woman, right? Barely a woman. <laughs> like she was not, you know, 19. That's, that's barely a woman. Some might say not a girl, not yet a woman. Uh, Some might and say. the, the image I think was part of it. And yet, she's kind of managed to weasel her out of like needing to be like a youthful uh, sprite in yeah. order to be a musician. I just, it's so I feel like it's so much harder for women to do that than men period. And why you have someone like Jessica Simpson who needs to start a billion dollar shoe company in the meantime to, or clothing company to be relevant. Uh, and so it's just, I don't know. She's kind of pulled off the ultimate magic trick of like, I think looks Looks and image are like kind of almost beside the point at this time. Yeah, I I was looking or we were watching some um, clips of her in tw- live in 2017, and she she looks like a like a high school art teacher. <laughs> yeah, in yeah. the best possible in the in the most glam way that like a high school art teacher could look, but it's yeah. not like she's not like doing much image based here. Yeah, um, it's just a different. It's a it's a different thing on her plate than say like a lady Gaga who I would also say makes art pop in the same way that Fiona made art pop. It's a different flavor, but lady Gaga is going to have a different journey toward her forties. Right. Than Fiona Apple. I don't know. It's just something I am conscious of as a woman who ages every day, every day I get older. Look, We all, we all get older every day, but only (laughs) some of us are women. (laughs) Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. That's, that is a, uh, that's so right. Um, that's sh- beautiful. Should we, uh, should we go out on at least one more Fiona, Fiona? Yeah, tune? we should listen to one more tune before maybe something from in between here. Like, do you have a favorite track off extraordinary machine? Can we do something from I- idler wheel? Actually? Sure. From idler wheel. Let's listen to left alone. Okay. This is one of my favorite Fiona Apple songs period. All right. So let's go to idler wheel. This is left alone. By Fiona. <laughs> Every single song. She perco- loves. She loves drums. Percussion first. And expressive percussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just when you thought there would be no more drums, more drums. Wait, is Jonathan on this album about, about Jonathan? About Jonathan Fucking brushes. Yeah. Drum. I went to work to cultivate 
I do have to say that one of the things that I do in my own personal taste actually like about a lot of her songs yeah. is is that kind of uh, dark, insistent quality of the music. Yeah. You know? Yep. Looming, insistent. Again, I super appreciate that nothing sounds quite like a Fiona Apple track. Yeah. It's just like it's yeah, such I mean, a bummer, <laughs> but it's so. But it is kind of. It's like a weird upbeat bummer. Yeah. Well, again, when it gets back into the into the uh, verse parts, that that like insistent chugging along uh, piano bass really drags you along, and then it gets to the chorus. <laughs> it's just this little Frank a middle. Yeah. And it kind of leaves you hanging there. It's like the a little bit like the coyote running off the. Uh, running off the road and then the chorus ends up being you hanging in the air for a moment, you know? Yes. Uh, my my ills are articulate. My woes are granular. <laughs> Who is this bitch? She's so funny. Uh, she is very funny and I, it does seem like most of her, as, as we said, it seems like most of her interaction with the press and everything has been mostly her just being like, uh, let me be clear. Uh, trying to explain herself, you know? Yeah, she's trying to explain herself. And she doesn't, I feel like it's, and she's it, not like, I am so special. Everyone must know my thoughts. She's just like, I'm trying to figure out, that's the thing about confessional singer-songwriters. Like, I would say most of these people, it's not an ego-based thing in the sense of, you must hear my thoughts. It is, I must hear my thoughts. Yeah, yeah, I don't know I, what the fuck yeah. is going on with me. <laughs> exactly. And I if have it's helpful these, for you too, great. I have these songs that, that must be created. <laughs> You're like, if I didn't make them, I don't know what because I would I do. Have OCD. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I literally don't know what to do with myself unless I turn these songs that I have inside me into songs that I, people can listen to. I have to hit together the, the bones of my cremated dog in order to make Is that drums. one of the instruments in that? Yes. Oh, God. I don't know if it's listed in the liner notes as like dog, but yeah. <laughs> um, on, on the dog. <laughs> uh well, do you have any more any more Fiona Apple thoughts? I, th- I think this is a pretty good overview of somebody who seems monolithic in pop culture, inscrutable. I mean, to me, at least before coming mm-hmm. in, inscrutable, monolithic, um, unapproachable in some ways. Yeah. Uh, a, a, kind of a this, caricature. Yeah, caricature. At this point, a, a um, coming in kind of blind, a, a, a back catalog deep enough that it's like, oh, I don't really know where to start here. But I think that this helped at least me de- demystify uh, Did it? Yeah, good. Fiona Apple, a little. So, uh, any final thoughts before we move into the end part? That's that's all I got. I, I hope she's well, um, and I hope that I I get to see her play live at some point. It's that was another question I had. Given given her kind of recluse status, mm-hmm. do you think or imagine or do you get anything through this um, this reading that if the pandemic had not hit, 
like would she have done a big tour for I think this album? She, I think she would have toured. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she probably would have toured theaters. So like King's Theater, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. She. She. Yeah. She hasn't played. Uh, she. I think she cut off the last tour that she did maybe midway through because that dog with the bones died. Um, <laughs> I mean, played, sorry to laugh. But. She played the Beacon Theater the last time she was in New York. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, she's. I mean, she's definitely at least what if I. You know, I love Lord, and I get to see Lord in like a half-empty arena. <laughs> but like Fiona Apple's a real get, so. I, I would like to see her live at some point. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. Hopefully she will tour again, maybe sometime, or just play a billion shows at the Largo. We'll have to go to LA and see and go to the Largo. Twist my arm. I would like to go to a place. Yeah. You know, that would be great. Let's, let's all try to go to a place. Yeah. <laughs> 2021 goals, frankly, go to a place, go to a place. Um, see what's there. So let's move in. Let's move confidently into the end part of this episode. Let's move confidently into the end part of this episode. Um, Thank you for listening to my Fiona explanation. This, of course, came from a user request. We uh, user request a listener request who I can't find. I was just trawling my DMs. It was someone who who I was DMing with who suggested it, and I was like, "That's a great idea." I looked in both accounts. If I can find it, we'll put it in the show notes, or we'll shout it out on Twitter or something. Well, shout out to that great whoever you were uh, user. Thank you. Uh, More evidence that you know. If you uh, uh, email us, you know, we can, uh, we do read those and we do respond to them. Uh, I have one coming up that is both a, a emailed request and something that, that a, a potential future guest mentioned offhandedly and the, the, the combination of it being a email request and the guest saying it means that it's probably going to happen. Uh-huh. Uh, I will say though, if you are emailing us about any kind of information, it will help much, much more for us to, uh, pay attention to you at all if you just email once so with that in mind let's go into the ending pattern pat patter away babe uh <laughs> follow, follow us on twitter at and intro pod or send us an email at and introducing at gmail and introducing pod at gmail.com and our soundcloud is as always at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and you should rate and review us there too. Uh, but try to try, try through the, your review to determine whether we are uh, precocious. What were the, what were the lines? Uh, oh, uh, precocious calculating prodigy or unbalanced, ungrateful freak. Yes. So, you know, leave us a review about whether we're a precocious prodigy or an unbalanced freak. Uh, <laughs> that's it. We'll be back in another, however long it takes us to want to make another one of these again, uh, with more stories of music, musicians, scenes, uh, music history, interviews with guests, something we'll do it all, uh, here on and introducing. <laughs> <laughs>